Welcome back to Vulcan Hello, the Incomparables uh, Star Trek Discovery Flashcast. I almost forgot what show we're talking about because I am drunk on watching this episode. I'm also drunk. I'm being joined by the largest panel to date, I believe, to discuss an episode of Star Trek Discovery. Also, probably the panel that is the most geographically dispersed. Uh, that may not be right. But I, I will first welcome my stalwart companion, Jason Snell. Jason, thank you for joining me. I'm happy to still be alive and have not died horribly <laughs> shot by a phaser. <laughs> That well, we'll get to that. But I do uh, have I'll... an interesting piece of trivia for you, Scott. Oh, do you know who the guests on the Vulcan Hello Flashcast were when we first met Gabriel Lorca? They uh... are the same guests as in the episode where he dies. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Uh, well, let us introduce our guests, uh, Liz Miles. Liz, thank you for joining us. Thank you for giving me an outlet to express my deep feelings regarding Discovery. Oh, I, I like how you didn't say if they were positive or negative yet. Save it for the show, as they say. Uh, and speaking of the show, James Thompson is here. Uh, a pleasure. Thank you for having us, this team, back together. Uh, it is exciting. Uh for everybody involved, I think. Uh, this episode, we're talking about episode 13, which is called What's Past is Prologue, uh, set almost entirely in the Mirror Universe, but uh, spoiler alert, they get out at the end. Uh, I had my own idea of what I thought it should happen, which we will talk about. Uh, but uh, so uh, where should we start? There's a lot of stuff. Well, well, let's start with the biggest thing. Uh, Lorca, he's dead. Or is he? Uh. I, oh. I think he's he, he looked pretty disintegrated to me. <laughs> I mean, he may have been absorbed into the mycelial network in some weird way that they can get him back again. Or we've got another one somewhere, I think. Oh, uh, we have a spare. Always have a spare Lorca. Yeah, that was. So, I feel yeah, he, he's very dead because I feel like the episode <laughs> before this one, he kind of went too far over the moral her- event horizon mm-hmm. with the whole he's her father and he groomed her thing mm-hmm. that we're not going to get a redemption arc. The, the closest yeah. thing we might have some flashback or prime Lorca, but I, yeah, he's, he's dead. I, I, I think we'll get prime Lorca back because maybe just for an episode in somewhere in the second or third season, but they think unless we've seen a body, he's not dead. I think they really, <laughs> I think they really like Jason Isaacs and I think Jason Isaacs really liked playing this. I, I just watched the interview with him on that they did on the after track show. Um, and he, he just seems gleeful about the whole thing. And I had that and, and I liked that character so much while also not trusting him and knowing that he was not to be trusted. And the fact that they're real super vague about like what happened to the brand and like Burnham was involved and all that. And all we heard last in the, in the episode, this episode was um, that he was beaming back from a planet and there was a torpedo and there was an ion storm <laughs> and he ended up in the prime universe. So it's all left out there to have some sort of ridiculous story about how the prime Lorca met, you know, escaped from a ship full of evil people and had to evade or maybe even kill Mirror Burnham. Like, I could see them doing that just to get Jason Isaacs back on the show. I totally see that. Yeah, I think they've given us enough information that it's a fairly, I I find at least, a fairly satisfying sequence of events and it makes sense to me. But I think you're right in that they've left enough sort of openness to it um, so, so that if they felt like it, they could add more detail or fill things in a bit more. Especially with what happened to the real Bur- the real Burat and real Burat, the prime Burat. Oh God, I can't say it. Burat, <laughs> damn it. The prime Burat, because we sort of, it's implied that he blew it up to kill them all and he yeah. was like, oh, the only survivor. But we don't ever actually get that confirmed by anyone. It's just purely left as an implication. So. Apparently it was in dialogue that was cut in editing where he actually said, I beamed on, you know, I was in another universe and I had to blow up that ship so that they wouldn't, you know, rat me out they well, wouldn't reveal as, it as they've cut it then they've it's got not like canon. a space there yeah. that's right yeah, yes. not, not canon not canon i will say that i uh 
laughed with glee when he uh, Lorca explained how he ended up in uh, the Prime universe. He's like, we were being followed by this city-sized uh, Emperor spaceship. She was shooting uh, photon torpedoes at us. Also, I was transporting myself. And, by the way, there was an ion storm <laughs> that came by. And I was like, this is ridiculous. And Star Trek at its finest, I, I think. Yep. Oh, <laughs> I loved it. it- I, I know there have, for some reason, I get the impression the internet there have been one or two complaints regarding like canon, which I don't understand because there's so much canon in the show. These people clearly love it, and the thing with the Ion Storm is like, oh, that's cute because that's how Kirk and, and Uhura and Scotty McCoy made it to the mirror universe. They got uh-huh. caught in an Ion Storm during a transporter accident. They really care about canon. They just don't care about making it look like a 1960 set, which I think is fun. <laughs> which which angers some people. Uh, I don't understand them, but, uh, you know, all opinions are valid. Maybe Lorca would disagree with that, though. Uh, <laughs> some some opinions are right and others are wrong. Yeah. Sh- shallowly, uh, I did appreciate that they put him in a leather jacket to sort of run around in. That was nice. That's I how you know like he's mirror Isaacs. universe. <laughs> Uh, and I, yeah, I was noticing that, you know, I, I was talking to a friend of mine today about this episode, and he uh, pointed out that a whole lot of people got disintegrated, and uh, which is true. And he he did, he wasn't quite sure how he felt about kind of the this kind of taste of the Game of Thrones in Star Trek. Uh, I was okay with it because it's the mirror universe. But how did everyone think about the the well, well, ridiculous amount of people blowing up? Well, also they they literally had a moon door that they could chuck people <laughs> through. So that is true. Um, what once I saw that, I was like, well, you know, you don't just have a big hole in the floor and nobody falls through it. So somebody's going through that. Although well done to put it off, right, and to be like, I, yeah. I you don't get a poetic death. <laughs> just they yeah. just shoot. I did like that. Stamets, yeah. Oh, poor Stamets. You know, I mean, classic Trek that people got fired by phasers set to kill, and, and back then they would just kind of glow with a shape of their body, and then they would be gone. It's true. But that's, you know, not any different, really. Yeah. I d- I don't, I, I'm okay with them, like, shooting into centric. I didn't even notice. Maybe I just watched too much violent television. <laughs> yeah, or maybe that's just, Or maybe that's just what happens in Trek, man. People die. I mean, <laughs> did you see, just, just to take, for example... TNG, which some people like for some reason, I don't know why, but its first season ended with Picard and Riker at Starfleet HQ running around gunning everyone down, and then with the most terrifying and horrific and traumatising Star Trek death (laughs) that's ever happened. There's a monster inside a guy's stomach and then he disintegrates really, really slowly. It's horrifying. Don't see it if you're a child. Yeah, so that's what I'm comparing it to here. And compared to that, this is completely cool. So... Also, some people got shot through the chin and out the top of their head. <laughs> yes, which, which did remind me slightly of the Last Jedi in some ways. Oh, um, no spoilers, please! Um, I haven't seen it. Oh dear. Okay. Oh, well, well, that's of Star that Wars. whole analogy gone then. <laughs> Speaking of Star Wars, I did think that the uh, the Emperor ship had a lot of shades of the Death Star with uh, shiny uh, black hallways and what have you. But maybe that's well, just me. I like the fact that Tilly is clearly never taking off her captain's uniform ever again. <laughs> she just loves that outfit. Everybody else seemed to have changed back into their regular clothes, and she's like, no, nope, no, nope, Almost nobody. They, I think they had a base of, like, the bridge crew that they needed to get into position in case they needed to fake it, because at least one of the bridge crew was still wearing their Imperial mm. uniform. Uh, it was... it was So they did it just like they have enough people to fake it if they need to fake it, and everybody yeah, else is was, wearing their normal stuff. There was a point where basically everybody knew that they were not from the mirror universe yeah. and at that point you know you could have taken it off oh, it's too busy no, it's it, too much too much going on too too much excitement oh my happening God. how can you possibly ruin this amazing headcanon goodness of tilly doesn't want to take off her cool uniform with yeah. facts and logic what yeah also i think those uniforms are probably really hard to take off there's uh-huh. like a breastplate and you have to un someone probably has to unhook it for you i think she likes given her hairstyle what we've seen too. about uh given what we've seen about sex and stuff in the mirror universe i think there's just a button they push and it just all falls off <laughs> <laughs> well but i there's a good point the uh, star trek discovery mirror universe is uh not as sexualized as uh certainly the deep space nine mirror universe well i uh, think because well, we're in the 2018 i nearly said 2017 we're in 2018 now 
That's yeah, true. Even so you have to a lot, a lot of people I know went back and watched that in a mirror darkly two parter for Enterprise, which is the best for my money, the best Enterprise episode. But you know that's still got a lot of kind of uncomfortable stuff with mm-hmm. like Hoshi wearing you know frilly undergarments in order to cozy up to the various men who are in positions of power. And I I did read an interview with one of the Discovery writers where they said, yeah, we're not going to do that. Like we just decided <laughs> we were not going to not going to go down that route. And instead, they were going to have for them. women in positions of power in the in the empire, including as it turns out, Giorgio. So yeah, good for them. I think which I think well, is I the mean, right choice. To be fair, in the last episode, I think we did get Burnham running around in her pants for quite a quite a, a, a chunk of one of the scenes. So that's true. We call those underpants here in uh, America, but yes, uh, it's just the mirror England. The mirror, yes, that's right. Not Scotland. Uh, There's only one Scotland. That's right. America is mirror England. Yeah, you oh. can you can judge whether that's good or bad. That's right. Let's talk about uh, Emperor Georgiou, because oh, yeah. uh, you, you can't have Michelle Yeoh without having uh, a highly choreographed martial arts fight, I think. What, what I, are you implying there? You mean beautiful perfection on your television that's mm-hmm. the most delightful thing that you've seen in weeks, I think is what you meant to say there. Yeah, I the, I wasn't saying it in a bad way. I was like, you you, you use the things that you have to their best ability. Yeah, I, I like the bit. I like the bit where she kicked somebody in the face over her own shoulder. <laughs> that, was that was amazing. So great. We get that that out loud. Yeah, that that and it was it wasn't. Oh my god, the the it was. I wasn't spoiled for her being emperor, and I'm very bad at television, so I never like any sort of twist even with major hints and stuff i do not get it until it's on the screen and they explain it to me so that was an exciting like oh my god just the emperor <laughs> and um and all of all of the stuff this week with the fight scenes the just all three of them there's like there was three ish major fight scenes and she 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 didn't even have to do the sort of the um the well choreographed martial arts thing the thing in the corridor with her and Isaac oh, yes. where they were just doing yeah. sort of like a chess match of fighting with cool doodads I- at each other I love that scene. I like this, like, well, we've got auto guns hidden in all the walls in this starship, <laughs> just in case. I but, just, but, uh, oh God, I thought it was amazing. The thing, when, you, when she's standing behind the force field and they're counting down how much the force field's got left and then about 5%, her hand goes up and she signals everyone to get back into the wall. I don't know why, but I just thought that was so cool. She looked great. That's because she's always in control. She knows how much is left in that force field, so she is mm-hmm. going to. But I, I did think... Uh, Emperor Georgiou, you're the emperor of a murderous Terran empire. Maybe have a little more security and more, you know, maybe boot, you know, death traps in your throne or something. She seemed like she had a couple of hidden guns that were well deployed. I will give her that. Uh, and an emergency transporter program also well deployed. Uh, but I felt like Lorca took over her ship very quickly. I, I kind of thought that she should have had like a big spike in her throne. That if somebody sat down on it, that wasn't her. Oh my god, she's a classy imperial villain. She's not a B movie, low budget special effects imperial villain. God damn it. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm just. She. He did get hold of a biological weapon and wipe out most of the people. That's on the true. Ship. He did kill like ten legions of her soldiers uh, yeah. with a, a biological weapon. So I'll give him that. Yeah, that was point kind of Lorca. Thingy. But um. But yeah, I think I held my breath all through that final fight scene because I was like, oh my god, this is so cool. They look so <laughs> awesome. I love them all, and especially it was so satisfying watching Michelle like because oh, she's she's in her mid fifties now, and how often often do you get to see a fight scene with a woman in her mid-50s? Never mind one where she looks that amazing and powerful. It's It was just, it was delightful. Yes, and she, she uh, was kicking people, and I thought to myself, is that special effects? And then I thought, no, that's just her doing crazy kicks, because that's what she does. Uh, so good for her. Uh, yeah, and we'll, we'll, so Burnham and, uh, Philippa have, uh, a complicated relationship, uh, both in the Prime Universe and the Mirror Universe, uh, and it seems like she has a lot of guilt, of course, because she betrayed her captain and her captain got killed, uh, because of it. Uh, and now I feel like she's trying to redeem herself by taking the evil ruler of the Terran Emperor Empire back to uh, the Discovery and uh, back to her universe. And I did love Georgiou's, uh 
uh, only, I think it's her only thing she says when she's in the Prime Universe, what did you do to me? (laughs) Well, are they going to just fill the brig up with all these sort of figures? (laughs) We've got the... um, uh, Laurel and mm-hmm. uh, presumably Ash, although is he yeah, Ash or is yes? Um, that was one thing that was never mentioned at all. They didn't come up. Um, well, there was so much going on in this in episode. a different universe. They can't worry about the the secret Klingon. Maybe Don't normal want to human. Time away from Michelle Yao here. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, that that's fair. But you know, I I want to see Michelle Yeoh or sorry, um, uh, Philippa in the cell next to Laurel, and then sort of discussing their, oh, God. you know, I we I want that fanfic. Someone's <laughs> got to write that. I don't but think there's any to- any uh, judicial oversight over other universes. Like right, they're like what? Why? I mean, they could throw her into the brig because they think she's dangerous or something. But like, she's not in her universe anymore. Um, what she, whatever crimes she committed, weren't here. So they've I don't got know. no evidence for them yeah, either. Right. So that's, that's a true. very good point. That's yeah, but be very they, on they, Starfleet to keep her locked up. They did kind of witness her murdering an awful lot of oh, people. Sure, they were, but they were <laughs> bad I, people. I, she she fed any... <laughs> she fed Saru to Burnham in the previous episode. Okay, that's fair. Any, that that any, is bad. Any Starfleet prosecutor would convince me of these second-hand accounts of events that supposedly <laughs> occurred in another universe, with inverted commas around all those concepts. Uh, and I, Michael Burnham's a known, uh, you know, criminal, an, so an we can't take her. We can't yeah. take her testimony. It would never stand up in court. She's. And, uh, free to conquer another universe. And I think that that gets to a central theme of this episode, oddly enough, which is Michael Burnham and Saru kind of doubling down on uh, the ideals that represent Starfleet, which I know a lot of people were having trouble with in Discovery because Lorca seemingly rejected all of them. uh, And everyone was like, WTF, uh, what's going on? This isn't Star Trek. Uh, also, they should be wearing mini skirts. Uh, so, but then you know, Saru has. <laughs> I, I'm just just repeating uh, what you know, this made you know what up they nerd in my head done? said. You know what these guys haven't done? They haven't broken the Prime Directive, i.e., Starfleet General Order Number One, even once. Anyone want to have a guess how many times Picard broke it? Uh, I'm just never. saying. Just. <laughs> That is not well, the correct answer. Oh, man, I'm bad at Star Trek trivia. Uh, <laughs> but so Burnham, you know, has Lorca, and at that, the, the climactic end of the, the awesome fight at the end, right, She Lorca is there, she has him uh, where she wants him, with her phaser pointed at him. It's the perfect time. You think, Burnham, he's bad, you should kill him. Uh, uh, but Burnham says, no, I'm not going to do that. We're Starfleet. If you had just asked us to help you get back to your universe, we would have helped you, Lorca, and that's why I'm not going to kill you. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Georgiou has no problem killing him, so she skewers him with her sword. But my point is, I think that this is kind of Discovery and the writers telling us, you know, yes, we know that there were some people who thought we were abandoning these ideals, but no, there was a reason, and uh, we are reconfirming them. But I, I think that, you know, part of the, you know, why Lorca was given all the, the leeway he was given was he was really good at fighting Klingons. Yeah, And true. now we have another expert in uh, military matters on the ship, and we've got a hell of a Klingon problem. So, <laughs> you know, maybe just a little mirror advice uh, might be helpful in the whole uh, winning the war. Yeah, just just so long as she doesn't mention that she's a space fascist who ruled over an empire of space fascists <laughs> and oppressed trillions of people and, and who, who had other planets. But those weren't their planets anymore because the space fascists took them. She she, she right. just not, maybe just, shh, maybe, maybe not mm-hmm. mention that. Yeah, well, just... No space fascism. Yeah. No, that was the thing with the Lorca thing. Cause it's like, yeah, they t- Starfleet would totally have helped you get home. Just as long as you didn't mention you're a space fascist right. who wants to be even more of a space fascist than this other space fascist you're trying to overthrow. They'd be, they'd be happy. At, at that point, I feel that they'd think, um, maybe we can better put our resources elsewhere. Would you like to discover how to mine dilithium on this faraway colony, <laughs> Mr. Space Fascist? <laughs> We could, it could use some organization this colony. And we hear that you're really good at keeping us moving on time. So, <laughs> oh. 
Uh, well, let's talk about, uh, so we talked about a lot of stuff happens in the mirror universe, obviously. Uh, and this episode leads up to, so we've seen the giant, uh, Georgiou has this big ship, her city ship, that's her capital ship that, uh, previously we've seen it, and it has this giant glowing energy orb that no one really discusses. You just accept it because it's kind of cool. But in this episode, we find out that not only is it cool, it is also some kind of giant mycelium powered magnet slash generator thing that's also, by the way, killing the network and will destroy all life in the multiverse. Not great. I like yeah, that we I- got some. In- Sorry. No, no, go. I like that they got some environmentalism in there, along with the anti-space fascism stuff. Mm-hmm. They're checking all the boxes. We yes, don't like I like Nazis. It. It's an like unsustainable it. power source, you know, and these stupid Terrans are just going to use it up. And Short-sighted Terrans. Uh, yes. Who would do such a thing as Saru uh, and, and everybody and watching cringes? Uh, petrol analogy just flashing at the bottom yeah. of the screen. And as Saru speaks, all the humans who've studied history just quietly look away and pretend they didn't hear that. Yes, we are shocked that the Terrans would do such a short-sighted thing. (laughs) (laughs) But this, I think, also includes lots of great uh, pure Star Trek scenes where they're trying to figure out how to fix this thing. Well, they don't really fix it. They blow it up uh, to fix the mycelium network. And there's a lot of techno babble and there are simulations that are looked at and revisited. And it was very exciting, I thought. Yeah, I I like Sorry. I, I, I liked the, uh, you know, the, the no win scenario. We won't accept it. You mm-hmm. know, we'll find a, a tri- tricksy way around this thing, uh, in proper Kirk fashion. I liked how they sort of wrapped the meaning, well, not very meaningful technobabble, which is like you watch trying to think, yeah, so what? Around, um, character interactions and development. So you got mm-hmm. the point where Saru was all, he, oh God, I loved how he did that speech. I love how you oh, can, yes. uh, uh, Doug Jones with his eyes does things and with his body movements does things. And he's like, you're watching him there and you know that he's like, he's got this lack of self-confidence, uh, self-confidence about can he be the captain? Can he do it? Will people have any faith in him? And so as he's speaking, it does, it, it sounds like he's trying very, very hard to cover up the fact that he's not confident. But as it goes on, you kind of feel like he gets into it and he's like, oh my God, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm really going to be captain to these people. They're listening to me. They're, it's like I'm the captain. I'm a real captain. And by the end my, of it, I'm just like quite emotional because it's like, my, oh God, my notes, what doing? My notes for that scene is just all capital teamwork. Yeah. Because yeah. that seemed to be what it was. It was like, you're all going to die. And they don't go, oh no, we're going to die. They just go, hmm, well, how shall we solve this problem and save the entire <laughs> yeah. universe? I, I like that Saru's take on that is, well, we'll figure it out. Like, and, and that that's a, because I expected the rousing sort of like, if we have to give our lives in order to save all the lives in all the universes, we'll do that. Yes. And instead he's like, no, I don't believe it. We'll figure something out. Uh, so let's get to work. Uh, I think that's great. And I really love that moment a little bit earlier in that speech. It's all great. Doug Jones is so good. Saru is such a great character, uh, portrayed so well. Had that alien captain sitting in the, in the, uh, in the chair at the end of the episode. So awesome. <laughs> but when he says, this isn't Lorca's ship anymore, you expect him to say something like this is my ship now and you, here's what i'm gonna here's what we're gonna do and he doesn't do that he says this is our ship it's like we're the ones and they they haven't heavily leaned into this yet but the backstory here right is this is a science vessel that is essentially commandeered by Lorca under the authority of starfleet to win the war and so they you get the sense that there's probably a whole lot of friction between them and Lorca um over time because they aren't warriors and he's, he's so proud, like, oh, I've made you warriors. But, like, they're not. They're Starfleet officers and they're scientists. And this is Saru taking it back and saying, this is our ship. We're, you know, we're going to do it our way. And it's great. It's great. It may, may be my favorite scene in the whole show. It's so good. Even with all the, you know, giant rubber, you know, stuff on poor Doug Jones. He just does. <laughs> he kills it. It's great. Yeah. I, I love how these subverted expectations there. Because when they said, like, it's a... Uh in no one scenario we're all going to die I think I expected them to hold on to the last moment that that hold on to that tension which you know you know because they've got a second season they're not all going to die but they're going to hold that to the last moment because that would somehow make it more exciting when it's like no we know they get out of it but no they do it earlier before they do the final swoosh through they have their way out and it's like I like that I mm-hmm. like the, I, actually sorry 
I was just going to say, I love the way that Tilly is the one who figures it out, Mm -hmm. uh, the way out of the no-win situation. And uh, Stamets is the one who comes up with the the slightly bigger plan, but it's it's her idea. It's like they're a team. Exactly. I was going to say that that illustrates perfectly the idea of teamwork. And my favorite part of that moment between Tilly and Stamets, who are two, I mean, there are so many characters on the show that I, I really like. I, you know, when I first started watching it, I was like, I'm not sure these are new people. I don't like new things. Uh, but I, I'm on board. Uh, well, I have been. I'm hosting a podcast about it. So of course I'm on board. But, uh, anyway, uh, at the end, when, uh, you know, they, they finished a little brainstorming session, uh, Stamets turns to Tilly and says, thank you for the inspiration, which I thought was very nice. And then he says, go tell the captain about your idea. And I thought, well, that, that is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. There's, so, there's so many really nice character moments in it that have, that they, you know, they have all developed from what we've seen. The first one like that with Stamets both acknowledging um, Tilly's contribution and mm-hmm. having her be the one to actually go speak to the captain about it. Saru, as we said, being the captain and confident in that. And there was a really lovely one with um, Saru talking to Burnham on the screen thing. And he says, I'm glad to see you, my friend. And I was yeah. like, oh my God. Ah, uh, yes. That was so beautiful. They've come along. This is, so So that that pays off, right, the first two episodes and what happens in those first two episodes where she's the first officer and they have some jousting and all of that. And then with her mutiny and all of that, they to, to have it all come back around to that is so great. And it's one of the examples of how this show was kind of carefully constructed for the whole season because you get to mm. see these moments. They're not accidental. They've been building to them. Um, and, you know, this episode had so many themes that call back to the first two or three episodes of, of the show. And there, and as well as feeling like um, the third act of a, of a feature film where like the plot last episode in this episode, we're just paying off plot really in an exciting way. And the only way you can structure it that way is if you're telling a story over the whole season instead of just just episodes here and there. But uh, I love that moment with Saru. It's so good. What I thought interesting was um, if you look at how, you know, Lorca dealt with Stamets in the first couple of episodes and there was a lot of antagonism there. And now it makes sense because his uh, identical clone uh, in the other universe had betrayed him to uh, Philippa. Uh, so, yeah, he might have had a bit of a grudge against people that looked like Stamets. Yeah, sure. I was actually, of all the people who died, and practically all of them deserved it, I think, this episode, the one that I was saddest to see go was Murr Stamets, because he was hilarious. I, just, <laughs> I loved him. He was, he was hiding in his lab, and he's like, oh, I wish you were dead. Why aren't you dead? What are you doing here? Right. I was, was really just, hoping you were dead. It was beautiful. His the expressions he pulled. I just I was so sad to see him die. I'd have I'd have liked him to stay. Yeah, and well, I like what Lorca was kind of doing his little like, haha, I'm alive, Arch, don't you have many questions and all this my plan is unfurling and Stamus is like, No, I'm still stuck on the whole you're still alive <laughs> thing. I don't <laughs> Yeah, but d- does this mean that um, Stamets is wandering around the mycelial network or alt Stamets is in the mycelial network as well? Uh, I mean, it seemed to be like a- anyone who dies is just going to go there so they can have a <laughs> conversation with them. get trapped there together. That'll be oh, fun for oh. them both. I bet they yeah. really like that. They could do a spin-off sitcom with uh, them <laughs> stuck in the mycelium network. <laughs> uh, and Paul just disapproving of of everything, and oh, like you're can, not they, my Stamets. They can call them fun guys. That's what that's what uh, it'll be called, mm. fun guys. Uh, mm-hmm. yes, See what I did good. there? Huh? CBS, yeah. write the check. That's right. Uh, and I'll never speak of this again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So Stamets, let's talk about Mirror Stamets and uh, Normal Stamets, quote unquote Normal Stamets, and their their roles here. They did a lot of interesting things in this episode. Uh, I feel like he has, at the first couple of episodes, he was just kind of, you know, a prickly pear who was angry uh, and obsessed with fungus, and now he's kind of plos- blossomed into... He's a lot better the first episodes if you go back and watch them after now learning to like him, or it was for me. Because ah. I've been doing a binge rewatch, and I'm suddenly mm-hmm. like, hey, all these early stab scenes are actually great. I love that guy. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I like Stamets a lot, but he is he's one of these characters that when I first started watching, I was like, he's not really one of these Star Trek archetypes that we are used to. It's making me slightly uncomfortable, but then I've, I've gotten used to it, and I like it. Uh, because, you know, you don't have to see uh, every engineer. doesn't have to be like Scotty or Jordy uh, or whoever was on the Enterprise <laughs> in Enterprise. He, he, was, he was just suffering from workplace stress at the time. Mm. So. <laughs> have, have you seen O'Brien when he's under stress and like early DS9? He, he he gets pretty annoyed at people. That's they, like, true. Because he's got to fix everything on that sorting station. He, he's one stressed O'Brien, you know? <laughs> and, much, and much like O'Brien, horrible things keep happening to Stabitz, so... That's <laughs> <laughs> true. I guess that's the continuum that we have here. Uh, and so well, let's talk about uh, the final kind of big thing, which is, so they blow up the, the giant mycelium energy battery, uh, kill everybody on the city ship, I assume, where they're all absorbed into mycelium. I don't, I don't know how it works. Uh, they, they ride the wave into the normal universe, uh, and there's that great scene where uh, Stamets is, says, hey, Tilly, find out where we are uh, and when, and he goes up to talk to Saru, and he says, so we're here um, in the right place. We've tested, you know, stuff so that we know we're in the right universe, uh, but we're nine months from uh, in the future. Uh <laughs> I'm a f- I don't know what it is, but anytime somebody says, you know, we're nine months in the future, my brain says, who was pregnant? You know, wh- wh- what has happened that we have this nine month period? Exactly. So I will tell you what I was hoping for. I was hoping that uh, they would show Saru uh, sitting in the captain's chair and then we would hear a, ve- a very familiar voice say, unidentified Federation vessel. This is Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. <laughs> oh, Please identify you yourself. Did. And then I would have passed out. <laughs> Why? Why do you want TNG back, you monster? God, because I'm um, a monster. I think I think that's an interesting point of view. Um, I, but I, 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 I realized there would be no place for them to go after that because that would be very difficult. That would be like a, the, the best of both worlds part one end where uh, the writers did not think they'd have to oh come back God. to write the next one. So I they I'm, just... Oh, I don't... What? Sorry. Go on. Go on. Just ignore <laughs> me. I was going to say, this whole thing did feel like a season finale to me. Yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. we've got two more episodes. And it was weird. <gasps> well, not weird, but it's interesting that they have <laughs> built it like this. So we have two more. I thought we just had one more. No, there's two no, more. There's two more. There are two more. Ooh, excellent. There's 15, so, a strangely numbered 15 episode season. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've heard, yeah, that's why, uh, that's why I just assumed there was one more, because this, yeah. Okay, well, that's great. Excellent. <laughs> so there you, you, you got a bonus episode you didn't even know Yay. about. Uh, I know, I'm excited about that. Um, so, I, I thought the fire, I'm sorry. Mm, go ahead. No, I was just, I thought the last major thing was, let's talk about Burnham and how amazing she is and how she's probably the greatest Star Trek character there's ever been. That's what I assumed we were going for, uh, rather but, than, I want to see Picard back. <laughs> <laughs> I only want to see Picard back because that would have blown my mind. I agree that Michael Burnham is a fantastic character, so let's talk. I, I sense that you'd like to talk a little bit about Michael Burnham. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> but hey, so, hey, Liz, but before that, yeah. let me tell you about oh. our sponsor. <laughs> yes, I, for, I forgot. You know what Michael Burnham likes? She likes tea. Uh, she likes tea. to drink tea. And you can drink tea, too, by going to the New Mexico Tea Company, who has been our sponsor in the Mirror Universe. Now, I know we said that the sponsorship was over when we left the mirror universe, but um, mm-hmm. we didn't know we were going to be bringing uh, the emperor from the mirror universe back to the prime universe. Oh. And as a result, the, the uh, New Mexico tea special deal is still intact for a little while longer. <gasps> so go what? to nmtco.com. That's nmteaco.com slash TV, T-E-E-V-E-E. And you will get a discount, a discovery discount. I believe this week's discovery di- discount is 16% based on various things that have occurred in the show <laughs> in the last few weeks. You use coupon code mirror mirror at checkout. And if you uh, register an account, you get free shipping on your tea. And this is the tea that I drink. It's very tasty. They have lots of different styles. Um, and uh, I usually have the Irish breakfast or the English breakfast or the Scottish breakfast. Yay, Scotland. Uh, but there are, they have many other things that don't have breakfast in the title, too. So don't check them Scottish out. Don't get Scottish breakfast tea. Don't get Scottish breakfast tea. Get English breakfast tea. Goodness sake. Okay. Just, just, just saying. Just, just trying to help. I usually drink the 
English breakfast. Don't isn't the Scot- isn't the Scottish isn't the Scottish breakfast tea made for like hard water in Scotland? Like it's hard to make normal tea in parts of Scotland, and that's why the I don't. I think it's the opposite, isn't it? I would never drink oh, something water? called Scottish breakfast tea. It's just guaranteeing horror. Uh, right. We have nice water up here, and they have terrible water <laughs> okay, down in England. Okay, that must be it then. It's for the for the nice water instead of the bad water. Anyway, nmtco.com slash TV for a mirror discount. Uh, be careful. We don't know what will happen next week, and the mirror discount may vanish or it may not. But uh, oh, try their tea. It's there's good. no telling. That's right. I, but I, I, ordered, I went to their website. I ordered some tea, and they shipped it to me. It was very so That's how it works. <laughs> I've never heard of a better promo code than mirror, mirror, though. That's amazing. Hmm. That only the best, only the finest for this podcast. Uh, and speaking of the finest, Michael Burnham, the finest Star Trek character in history. Discuss. I believe, well, maybe. No, don't yell about it, because I realize it's a bit over the top. She's only been in one series, but I really, really love her. And I believe last time this podcast, I might have expressed such sentiments, but that was many, many episodes ago and many podcast years ago. And your love is just deeper and deeper now. It has. It has. It's amazing. I just, I love how brilliant she is at everything and that she's she's the cleverest person on the ship she's the most compassionate person on the ship she can fight in cool vulcan martial arts and presumably mm-hmm. do the vulcan neck pinch because i saw her try to do that one time and that she has had her starfleet status stripped away from her and she longer has her rank and yet she's still this incredibly powerful influential person with all the great plans and all the action and yet she's also deeply flawed and she's consumed with guilt and she got her captain killed because she's also a filthy traitor. So I, I just I love how she can have be all these amazing things. And yet she's still a flawed character in many ways, similar to the way Kirk was, who was, you know, amazing at many things. He's the one who saved the day most weeks with occasionally Spock or McCoy. And it's the same here with the other dudes. They'd help out, but it's mostly Burnham. And oh, just I love it. It makes me very, very happy indeed. She's she's everything I've ever wanted from a Star Trek character. And I love how the season's most important relationship, sort of the thread going all the way through it, unless something dramatic changes in the last two episodes, which I think, don't think it will, is the Giorgio Burnham relationship. It starts everything off. It ends everything off. It's the one sort of winding through that we're constantly reminded of that its effects are reverberating. And so the payoff here between the two of them is so powerful and moving and sort of beautiful, even though it's quite twisted. And the idea that they're both, both of them are trying to connect with the other one because they've lost their actual proper person. I'm just watching this, lots of, lots of flaily movements because it delighted me so much. And, um, and I think the, the really important moment was in the aftermath of the fight where Georgiou sort of lets down her mask a little bit and she's a little bit softer and she actually smiles and she's like, you know, for a moment there, I thought you were her. And that seems to give her some comfort because at that point she thinks she's going to die. She's going to go off and die. And I thought she was going to die. So this is this is actually what the major twist <laughs> this series has been for me, is that Georgie doesn't die there. It's not a nice, neat knot all tied up. Burnham saves her. And of course she saves her. The whole the whole ter- season has been saying that she'd save her if she had a chance. Mm-hmm. And how could I ever think she'd leave her? But I did. I did. And just seeing that happen, that was amazing. Okay, I'll, I'll stop it. I, I think this is going to go horribly for her, though, because she's, <laughs> no, she's no, she not. wants this. She wants this uh, mother figure or captain figure or whatever figure and she's just gone and got a homicidal space fascist <laughs> from another galaxy and said oh i'll just do. keep this one instead hey, but she was a homicidal face, space fascist who kept her word to burnham about you know they fought together well, alongside well, they let her she let her burnham go and destroy her ship she in fact volunteered stayed so she could give burnham time to escape so you know maybe that, that, maybe she's she she'll she'll she's she's I'll recant her space. <laughs> nah, nah. She, she, she knew that she was going to get rescued. She was just oh. like, oh, I'll I'll hold them off. Please don't transport me <laughs> no. to your lovely galaxy. She, she was totally going to die there. That was. A, did you see the way she was shooting that gun? Those were the eyes of a person who knows she's going to die, but is damn well going to shoot that, well before. Those it are the eyes of somebody who really likes shooting people. 
<laughs> well, do they have to? Do you have to choose one. I think you can have the eyes of both. Uh, and I feel like Georgiou is lawful evil, so she makes a promise and she yeah. keeps it. Yeah, but she's still so evil. That, That's that the problem. Sounds, that uh, sounds fair. And so uh, I think that. Or could yeah. she be lawful neutral and sort of conforming to the social expectations of the universe she finds herself in? She seems nah. a little gleeful in killing a lot of people for someone who's lawful neutral. <laughs> I'm just saying. Again, again, conforming to the social expectations of the universe she finds herself in. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. I, Am I, I really I, pushing this I, a lot? I, I, I did like that they both had the the badges of the of the missing person. <laughs> yes. yeah. And they just sort of like, I just happen to have this in my pocket. And <laughs> that, that's just that, in case yeah. you end up in another universe and you need something to prove that you no, are from it, a different universe. It, to show their love and, and oh, care that, and mm-hmm. the yeah, depth of their relationship. I, I was surprised they didn't sort of swap them or something. Uh, like <laughs> that would have made break, no sense whatsoever. Break them and make little uh, necklaces. Oh, that would have been nice. Uh, I, I will say, Liz, that I think that uh, Michael Burnham could possibly be the most tragic main Star Trek character we've ever had because she's, you know, her parents have been killed. That's, you know, lots of Star Trek characters have are orphans. Uh, uh, and then she's she's raised by uh, Vulcans, which must be horrible because uh, Vulcans, as we all know, space racists. And uh, then she I is that was humans and McCoy. <laughs> Uh, McCoy is a space racist, but I feel like not all humans are space racists. Not all humans. Uh, but I'm not, sure not all hashtag not all humans. Are space racists. No, mo- I, think, I think mostly I'm they are. I'm pretty sure they are. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's really that's terrible. What, why would you uh, think that? Hashtag I'm sorry, all Vulcans. Vulcans. Not all Vulcans. Good lord. <laughs> uh, she wasn't. She, she got over uh, her. Well, thing. she was. I think she, she got was. She over it though because she's a reformed <laughs> space racist. Okay, oh, God. it's a product of her ra- space racist culture that she just had to overcome. <laughs> That's oh right. my God! I can't believe we're saying that all Vulcans are space racist. This it's just a theory uh, that we have pretty much proven. Um, and Michael Burnham then you know dedicates herself to Starfleet and the ideals of Starfleet, which I think I are fine ideals, and she then comes to this pivotal decision that you know screws everything up and her mother figure dies because of her uh betrayal and then she thinks she has another chance it doesn't make any sense but this wacky captain Lorca says you know what i like the cut of your jib and we got to kill a lot of klingons you're the one i need uh and then she finds out that is all uh just part of his machinations to become uh you know the super space fascist number one in mirror universe uh so left and right she's just disappointed by the world yeah. and yet she, she still tries to keep up her ideals and the reason that he's so, one of the reasons he's so interested in her is because he's been having a relationship with well, her in the other universe a creepy and creepy relationship so he's now a sort of weird father figure but yeah yeah. I think that's a real that's a really good point, but it, it's because um, I, I was watching the after show and they were talking about how they want their Star Trek to re- Star Trek is used to reflect uh, on and discuss the politics of the time, which all, all of the Star Treks have done to more or lesser degrees with more or lesser degrees of success, and I, that makes complete sense for the time that we find ourselves in. I think the more obvious parallel would be with with the mirror universe and hey look how great fascism is well, over there Loka but- literally says we will make the empire glorious again <laughs> yeah I, oh God, i'm gonna get off point, I but there that. Was, that reminded me of a thing that i was anyway um but um more sort of on the personal stake it's that this is an individual who uh, has these starfleet values and will fight for these starfleet values of decency and compassion and following what is right, even if terrible things are happening all around her and she's suffered personal loss, that will not stop her being the person she is. That will not crush her her caring or compassion or sort of general, not quite optimism, but the way she approaches universes in a very positive way. And I think that's a sort of a rather more optimistic and um, nuanced message than space fascism is bad. And so is non-space fascism. But yeah, no, um, the other thing was the thing about the, oh God, I've forgotten. Sorry. Okay, spin on. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting was the glowing green spore that landed on Tilly's ah, shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because for some reason, all the spores got out of the containment 
and were raining down on people. I really liked that shot. I thought it was really kind of cool and pretty like, whoa, we're doing something that's never been done before. This is so strange. And then, yeah, the glowing green spore landed on Tilly's shoulder. And I thought, oh, no. Is that good? Is that bad? In the after show, they somebody actually asked that question of one of, I think it was a writer or showrunner, and they said, hmm, wait until season two. Oh my what? God, they're going to all turn into like vervoids or, or triffids or something. <laughs> or tribbles. Or tribbles. Oh. No, oh, wait, no. not tribbles. Who's going to feed Lorcus tribble now? And <gasps> I'm sure it'll be freed and used to for less nefarious purposes oh, yeah. than oh. calming people down that you're lying to. Also, don't, I, <laughs> don't feed it. Don't feed it. I, also, I don't still, feed it. Oh, I still think probably. that Tribble is a member of the crew, and it's just gonna. Been, it's oh, been right. doing Anson its duties. Tribble. That's right. Maybe it's a mirror it's... Tribble, Scott. <gasps> yeah, that's a, oh, no. like an evil so, Tribble. So, was the whole he had this whole backstory about fortune cookies, and you know, pr- presumably that was uh, our Lorca who had this fortune cookie background, and uh, I, I just imagine that. Um, Alt Lorca really hates fortune cookies and he has to have these things sitting on his desk and be eating one every now and again. And every time he's doing it, he's thinking, I'm just going to kill you all in your sleep later. Oh, maybe that's why he has the tribble. He slips the, the cookie that he doesn't want to eat to the tribble. And it just, he's, he's very, he's very big on destiny. So I think he likes the fortune cookies. And he believes mm. all the messages inside them. Oh. You are going to be the emperor of the galaxy. Every fortune cookie says that. <laughs> we like ordered a special batch of fortune cookies, and that was all they all said inside. And yeah. that's, that's you know, and it's like, he gives them. yeah, it's destiny. You have to shape yeah. your own destiny. And yeah, this is the the moment. Like, I feel like uh, last episode, uh, we find out, of course, that this is Mira Lorca, and that's probably not great. And in this episode, we find out that Mira Lorca is a, a zealot who believes in destiny above all, and that he's destined to be the emperor. And Michael Burnham is destined to be his something. I don't know his his emperor partner. His Empress? Empress, I don't know. Well, Georgiou was not an empress. She was an emperor, which I approved of. So that I don't know. That could be applied to the regnant one, whereas the, um, as opposed to the consort. Oh, so I see. Well, that's, that's a good point. So I don't know what he wanted. He was clearly wanted, he clearly thought that they would, uh, side by side rule the galaxy. Um, to, to quote another lesser Star, star uh, related <laughs> franchise. Uh, so I, I, so Lorca seems like he's a little cuckoo, uh, is what I'm saying. And now he's dead. So, or is he? We don't know. He did hide. He, he got disintegrated. The guy is dead. Yeah. Um, Mira Lorca's he, he gone. Did, he did play sane or non crazy quite well for like the duration of the show i mean he wasn't making ridiculous decisions or anything making questionable decisions sure but no Mm -hmm. one was like oh my god you're clearly an evil version of this person from another (laughs) universe he hit that quite well and And let's compare this to mirror mirror where alternate kirk didn't hide it for five minutes before spock (laughs) sussed him out um what was going to yeah yeah um with the with his speech about how Georgiou has to step down because she's a rubbish Terran emperor and Terrans need a leader who will preserve our way of life and our race it was just like that's incredibly relevant given how um the emperor Georgiou is emperor of the known galaxy and oppresses all other races and Terrans are the only race who are relatively unoppressed. But this isn't fascist enough for Lorca because, oh my God, there are rebellions. <laughs> because even though you're the dominant race over the whole galaxy, the fact that the lesser races are objecting to this a little bit, well, that just means you're not, you don't care enough about your own people and you're about to be destroyed <laughs> because of that. And it was just like, oh, that doesn't remind me of any anywhere on the planet recently at all. <laughs> I don't know what I, you're I, talking about. I, I did think that Mira Giorgio had a quite a, a turnabout very quickly. And she was like, oh, well, they've seen my neck. I am now, you know, uh, I will not be taken seriously. And I'm thinking if I was her, I'd have just jumped in an escape pod, blown up the entire ship. And it's like, well, nobody knows. Um, I got rid of all the witnesses. Hmm. Um, maybe I'm from the Mirror Universe. I think she... Maybe- 
I think the key there was when she says to Michael that um, that she'll she'll cover her basically while she escapes. Is that this is the this is the connection they have made? That if you think about it, like both of them is seeing somebody that they loved who they thought was dead, and even though they're not the same person, they ha- she has that connection to her, and because she's lawful evil on top of that, and has a little bit of a feeling there, so she decides to sacrifice herself essentially so that this um, so that this other Michael Burnham can can go on and uh, you know do what she needs to do. And I, I accepted that. I did have that moment where I was wondering why she wasn't hopping in an escape pod, but that's why they covered it with that dialogue of like, look, my ship blew up in the, in this raid. Even if everybody else is dead, it's bad for me. I'm not going to, everybody knows who I am. I'm not going to make it. This is, it's gone too far for, for me. And I, I just took that on faith. Like she knows the politics of that universe better than me. So, okay. Yeah. I think also there's, I mean, they, they live in a, a horrific system but they're not inherently evil which is you know also star trek canon um we get the uh, ds9 episodes and the alternate human crew in that who are at that point oppressed by the clone ones of the cardassians they're not evil they're just really sad at how terrible everything is for them um but the the nurture of the system is is what created this and that the idea of her sort of peeling back that hardness and cruelty in those last few moments because she got to feel like she had sort of made another connection with Burnham and got some sort of um, closure over fighting with her by her side and was like, okay, I actually don't want to do this horrible thing anymore or go on with the whole pressure of running a big space fascist empire. I'm just going to shoot a bunch of people and die and I'll have let this person who is creepily decent but looks a lot like someone I loved I, I will wish them well and help them and then die. I mean, not happy, but less sad than I've been in the past. Oh, yeah, I, I, I'm still prepared to take a wager that things are going to go badly for this I relationship I don't know in what the you're future. Implying. There's going to be a beautiful, happy ending for them somehow. Yes, uh, I, I, sh- I think it, it's equally likely that she will convince uh, uh, Michael to go over to the dark side. Oh, oh, that's that's. M- Michael's think, too Starfleet for that. She won't. She won't do it. She has no. her her ideals. Uh, but it's her space mom. <laughs> yeah, but she that's, she knows that her space mom's evil. This one's evil. Yeah, she's just right. she'll be trying to redeem her. It's her space step mom. Yes, and so in in the last few minutes of this episode, we find out that they are nine months ahead of time. Somebody's had a baby, Uh, and Cornwell. Yes, possibly. Uh, And the Klingons have have won the war. And that sets us up for the final two episodes, I guess, which is basically these episodes have basically been like, well, I remember that whole Klingon thing we spent so much time setting up. Uh, let's put that on hold now because we got this mirror universe thing with Lorca. Uh, but now we're back to Klingons. Uh, so what, what do we think about uh, going back to Klingon uh, space? I, I think Lorel is going to be annoyed that they won the war and she had absolutely nothing to do with it. <laughs> and she was just in a break for the whole time. <laughs> she wasn't even in the universe. I step out of the universe for nine months and this is <laughs> she, what happens. She sets up this complicated plot. You know, she engineers a, a Klingon into being a human and it does literally nothing to affect the outcome of the war. It's true. It does seem I've never really been super clear on what Lorel and Vox's plan had to do with the war effort in general. Uh, but I think it was just getting somebody onto this super ship, and that's about as much of a plan as they had. Yeah, and it turned. I out- think it was a sorry. It turned out to not be as great as they thought it would. I think that's true. It also may have been a power play in the Empire to like show that they had the best source of information since she's from the spy house. So like it's just you know maybe his reports are supposed to they activate the sleeper agent. His reports go back to her. She you know passes those on to whoever's prosecuting the war and the the, her house increases in standing. It's sort of Mm, what I thought. And we never Uh, see him successfully activated. So right, he's a broken secret clan. I thought it was a Klingon plan, and therefore, I don't know if you've met Star Trek, but as it was a Klingon plan, it was therefore terrible. (laughs) It was a Klingon plan beyond let's hit them really hard. Hey, these are the dudes who 
re- cloned Kayless and pretended he was real to try and overthrow a government. I mean, and that that was a great plan. I like that one a lot. <laughs> well, they also rid the universe of the scourge of the Tribbles, so mm. you know you, you can't. Uh, Again, another terrible the, plan. The great <laughs> Tribble hunt. The um, the I wonder what's going to happen next. Like, I, I think it's clear, Giorgio. Um, emperor is going to be helpful in some way to the war effort mm-hmm. but there's i have this question of like is this God, canonically like is the is the war we just don't know like is the war going the way it did historically and they're going to turn the tide or do they do they have to like travel back in time in order to solve mm-hmm. the problem because well, time travel's out of the box now right now now time travel do they happened. have do they have working spore drive? Because I thought the part of the point was their little forest was dead. Right. Uh, which may be regenerating or might not, but at least at the moment, they had to use the, the, the orb of spores. Right. In so order they may be to, stuck to get out. So they're, they're stuck nine months in, in the future. And I can't, I mean, if, you know, we're going to end up with the flash if people are zooming around <laughs> back and forward in time. What we call the sporb. There must be something that they can. My my feeling is that the the writers are massive Star Trek fans and mm-hmm. have a terrifying knowledge of the continuity. And we got stuff like even just last couple of episodes when we came into the mirror universe, we were we were out up near or- Organia, which is where the the Klingon Starfleet first Klingon Starfleet peace treaty was signed with the mm-hmm. Organians' help in in original Star Trek, and. Um, so that makes me think that there's, I mean, this, there's nothing in canon that suggests that Starfleet suffered this kind of terrifyingly massive defeat to the Klingons. And so I feel like there's got to be some sort of time travel involved. I mean, I don't mind if there's not, just so long as the Klingons are defeated. And <laughs> beaten. Have to be defeated. wars, go, wars go back and forth, right? Wars go back and forth. It could be that that's... It looks pretty bad. Yeah, it's pretty bad for Starfleet. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was questioning how, if they can't contact the Federation in any way, how they right. can get this intel of who exactly has every planet in the system. Yeah, I did question that too. Not even an automated response, but let's download the updated tactical map the from map somewhere. Is, <laughs> the map is available. It's a public service. It's available to whoever yeah. is ruling the galaxy. There's the galaxy. Oh, that's nice. Galaxymap.org. Yeah. It's a sort of open data initiative. org. Yeah, that's what it is. I don't know if you've met Klingons. They're kind of egotistical. I think they would be shooting out oh, copies of their map to everyone just, who listens and being every like, Klingon look at what we did, guys. Is broadcasting that map everywhere. Damn right, they would. Yeah. Personally, <laughs> ideally, my, my ideal resolution would be that the Romulans come in with a big fleet and save everyone. Oh. I agree. More Romulans, please. Oh, boy. Or any Romulans, please. <laughs> there won't be any Romulans. That would be uncanonical. I know. It's sad. It was bad uh, enough when Enterprise did them. <laughs> I just have that same question, though, Jason. I wonder if, because it seems like, you know, in the original series, no one talks about this massive loss that happens. Um, and so it seems like perhaps the writers have something up their sleeve oh, it, to it explain could, it all the way. It could be, or it could be that the, um, that the war, although they're like oh no we lost the war is like the war is going badly but they turn the tide and push back against the klingons and and that's what what actually we remember um that's it true. could it could be like i wouldn't put it past them but it does feel now that time travel has been brought into the show um it does make me wonder if that may be what they what they ultimately do and then and it's i just continue to have this question i brought up on this show a bunch now which is where does the season end up because i've always thought mm-hmm. thought like ending up like in their normal time and place to have other missions doesn't seem like what this show is headed for but maybe it is i don't know but you know the time travel thing makes me wonder um if they're gonna have to do a dangerous leap to change the past and something goes wrong or something i don't know i think it's just a history is written by the winners thing and like the humans don't really talk about that time they had the massive loss and the klingons (laughs) don't really want to talk about it either so you know Uh, don't don't mention mention the the war war. yeah (laughs) 
whatever you do. Mostly, I'm I, I would re- I'm really worried that we're only going to get Michelle Yao for the next two episodes, and then she'll go mm-hmm. away to go back to film work or something. When I think that's ridiculous. Obviously, she should sign on for the whole of the next season. I could be that like, <laughs> their resident emperor advisor person. That's that's a well known star. But, but all, all of her advice just is bomb them from you know orbit. And <laughs> shoot them. I think yeah, you should like, shoot them. We're not, we come in we're peace. Not, should We're not kill. sending another away mission. We're just gonna nuke it every, everybody from orbit. Yeah, I th- I think that's great. That just that pointing, perfect just pointing out that uh, this perfect uh, Philippa did that uh, a couple of episodes ago. She yeah. did. She had her I, reasons I, though. I there was rebel no scum problems. on that planet. Yeah, <laughs> there were Dorians on that planet. <laughs> that's true. Well, did you see the uh, next week preview? No, I haven't seen it yet. Oh no! I, oh no! Don't! Oh! oh, don't, I, oh. I'm not going to spoil anything, but there might be a race involved that start <laughs> with A. Oh my god! Oh! I, I honestly thought Jason was fibbing when he said that. Just casually said there were Andorians when there were the next week, and then I watched it, and, and there it were. <gasps> they teased so much. <laughs> you can't even recognize it when we're telling you the truth anymore. <laughs> That's right. That, that is the. The it's truest difficult. Vulcan hello. Uh, anything else that we want to talk about this in this episode before we uh, wrap things up? Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm just reading my... Oh, oh, one oh. thing I did really... Oh, yeah, yeah, I've always got more things to say. I'm very helpful like that. <laughs> one, one thing I did feel like we almost got in this episode was a little bit more from like the rest of the bridge crew. Um, uh, mm. Owosikon, Ariam, Letmer, Bryce and... Right. I, I like that Saru called. knew everybody's names. You know, yeah. when he, he took up the captain, he was like, you know, thank you very much, Mr. Smith, or whoever it was. There's, there's uh, only like 140 of them on that ship. I should bloody well hope he knows all their names. Um, that's true. But, but yeah, no, they all seem to get like a couple more extra lines. And I'm sort of, I really want just little character moments for them all. Two sentences would do me, but I want something that tells me about who they are rather than just Starfleet orders. And that's the the one thing that I think might be I, I like discovery. Don't get me wrong, but the one thing that is missing from this, and it, it makes sense given its serialized nature, is those episodes where you are following, you know, uh, a minor character doing something completely unrelated to stuff. Like they just don't have the time to do that. But I like that, uh, and finding out more about the characters and things. So hopefully, maybe in season two, it'll just all be that. There'll be no larger thing. It's just like a day in the life of discovery. Saru uh, has run out of blueberries and he sends <laughs> someone off to get some <laughs> and there's a sure hilarious series of of misunderstandings <laughs> and it leads and to exactly. stamets uh, in his little reaction chamber covered in blueberry juice <laughs> oh, dear sweet lord he's traveling the blueberry <laughs> network <laughs> it has antioxidants well, I think that on that uh, note, um, we should wrap this up. And I will thank my panelists. Liz Miles, thank you so much. Thank you for having me back. Uh, my pleasure. James Thompson, thank you. Oh, thank you. I'd like to say goodbye to Jason Isaacs. Oh, goodbye, Jason. Maybe <laughs> oh, I, get, I get that joke this time. Um, yeah, me too. I, I get uh, that now. I, you explained that. I get it too. I still uh, don't fully appreciate it, but I get it. I would like to say, though, something that I fully appreciate is Mr. Jason Stell. Oh, thank you, Scott. It's good to be good to be here. I'm glad we've got two more weeks of this. That's right. And uh, if I had a trapdoor that I could push you through, I wouldn't. Thank you. You just shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> I just shoot you exactly. Right. I hate poetry. Mm-hmm.